God is good all the time. time. Welcome to Christ Church. This is the last week of the In Search of the Holy series. As is my custom, I'll be taking June off. Uh, Melissa and I have had a long year battling her cancer. We're tired and uh, we're looking forward to having some extended down time. Thank you for your prayers for your support, for the many ways that you've shown your concern and love over these past months. And now it's going to feel really, really good to get some time just to be with my wife and breathe. And we're looking forward to that. Christians can sometimes struggle to clearly articulate our beliefs to others. And I think this reality is compounded in secular arenas where our values may run wholly counter to a prevailing culture that's generally hostile toward traditional Christianity and manic by nature. When you share a counter-cultural message, particularly if, if you do so with some intentionality, like we're doing with the 500 campaign, when you're out there inviting people to church you're going to get some pushback now and then. There are just some people out there that do not like traditional Christianity at all, and they don't like traditional Christians at all. We're going to get some pushback. And it's natural to occasionally wonder, am I on the right track? And I think it's especially true when you get a whole lot of people telling you you are not on the right track. So how do we know if we are on the right track? I think it's a fair question for serious Christians. I'm going to work you a little bit today. I apologize for that in advance, but hey, I'm getting ready to leave, so I'll just exhaust you now. Thank you. (laughs) It's good because it's the only plan I had. School has ended for most students. How many graduates do we have out there? Graduated from something. School's ended for most students, and they get something we used to call a report card. These are end-of-the-year grades that indicate the progress of a student over the school year. Generally lets the world know if a student is on board, ahead, on track, behind. Just kind of lets everybody know how the student is doing. You ever wish God gave you end-of-the-year report cards? Wouldn't it be awesome if God just kind of shot us a report card at the end of every year? To to let us know, how how are we doing in our Christian walk? What are we doing that pleases God? Where might we show some improvement? Are we generally progressing, holding steady, digressing? Sometimes I wish God would give us a little bit more feedback. If not a report card, at least a batting average. What we call the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5 offer us exactly that kind of of feedback. For most of my ministry, I have considered these fruits of the Spirit to be virtues to which we aspire. But as I get older and grow in my relationship with Christ, I am seeing them quite differently. They are not aspirational qualities at all. The fruit of the Spirit are inevitable byproducts of a life that is right with God. I'm going to stop there because I want to make sure you got that. The fruit of the Spirit are not aspirational qualities, qualities to which we aspire. 
They are inevitable byproducts of our lives when our lives are right with God. They are not things we do to get right with God. They are things that flow from us when we are right with God. Last week I shared that Galatians was written by Paul to Christians in the province of Galatia in the middle part of the first century. That is located in in middle Turkey today. It's a region that we will visit on our 2024 September pilgrimage to Turkey and Greece. If you want more information, you can get it out at the Sink Center. You can grab a brochure. Christianity began as a sect of Judaism. As the movement spread west from Israel, more and more Gentiles, which simply means non-Jews, were receiving the good news, in part due to Paul's three missionary journeys. Some Jewish Christians felt that to become a Christian, you first needed to convert to Judaism. And there were all kinds of debates around this. How Jewish do you have to be to be a Christian if you were a Gentile? But the presenting issue was, does a Gentile man who converts to Christianity, does that man need to be circumcised? That was the presenting issue. Last week, we explored 15 very specific sins, or as Paul called them, works of the flesh. For Paul, flesh referred to a life not in union with God. So works of the flesh would be things people do who are not right with God. Conversely, he uses the word spirit to denote lives that are in union with God. So fruit of the spirit are what naturally flows from a life that is right with God. It was a common literary technique to juxtapose lists, and that's exactly what Paul does here. These 15 evil are fleshly things, and others like them, are the inevitable manifestations of a life not right with God. These are things people not right with God choose to do. These are ways they choose to behave. And we might say this is just how sin acts. If you weren't here last week, I I encourage you to grab a hold of the sermon because it's really, really foundational stuff. It's 15 things that just identify this is how sin acts. These are the choices people make who live according to their flesh. I find that almost nothing today in our culture surprises me. You want to know why? Because it's a largely sinful culture. And sin is always going to act like sin acts. So when you see the latest thing that's going to outrage Christians, just keep in mind, this may be outrageous, but it doesn't surprise Reverend Shane because sin always acts like sin acts. That's what it does. It's just what it does. These are attitudes and actions We must learn to recognize. And when we recognize them in our life, we need to repent of these things. And we need to turn away from them. These 15 things were things that will become Satan's strongholds in our lives if we do not deal with them swiftly and with prejudice. Sin will always beg to be tolerated, ask to be accepted, And then demand to be celebrated because that's what sin does. Sin's a soul cancer. And like cancer itself, 
if we pay attention to the symptoms, if we identify the cancer, if we work and get help to eradicate it, the sooner the better on all those things. Our prevailing culture purports the false narrative that because traditional Christians take biblical stands on issues, that we hate sinners. Flag. Flag. Wrong. This is as idiotic as arguing that an oncologist hates humanity because they believe people would be better off without cancer. Melissa and I can tell you from our experience that oncologists and medical teams fight cancer because they love people and because they know people will be far better off without cancer. Christians hate sin because we love people and we know people would be far better off without sin in their lives. Christians hate sin because sin destroys the people we love. So people will say, well, are sinners welcome in the church? (laughs) If sinners weren't welcome in the church, none of us would be allowed to come. Not a single one of us would be allowed to be in here if we somehow had to pass through a sin detector on our way in. It would just go beep, 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 beep. You got to understand that. Jesus came to forgive our sin. That's why the gospel is good news. We are sinners. Jesus came to forgive sin. Bam. Melissa was diagnosed with cancer. We found a great medical team and a great oncologist. We got great care. Bam. That is all good news. It's great news. The blood Jesus shed on a cross at Calvary was the price required for our sin to be forgiven. So the price has been paid in full. We could have never afforded it. We could have never afforded it. I've often said that we're all full of something and and we all leak. And those filled with sin will have no room for anything but sin. And they will leak nothing but sin. Repentance is, is pouring out the works of the flesh to make room for the fruit of the Spirit. So in a sense, we're all full of sin. We're born into this world full of sin. But because Jesus has paid the price for our sin, by asking him to forgive us, we can pour out the sin in our life. And that frees up space in us for Jesus to fill us with the fruit of his Holy Spirit. So, I want to think through this just a moment. Let's examine the concepts of works, as in works of sin, as juxtaposed with fruits, which are fruit of the Spirit. And this is really, really important that you get a hold of this. A work of the flesh represents a sinful action. It's something that we choose to do. It's something done intentionally and easily identified. Sin is always a choice that we make. Conversely, fruit isn't something that's produced consciously at all. An apple tree 
produces apple. Not because an apple tree sits around all day and chooses apples above all other fruits. Not because an apple tree sits around all day and, and tries to have an apple. Urgh! It's not by force of will that apple trees produce apples. They produce apples because they are, drum roll please, apple trees. And if the apple tree is healthy, it will naturally, beautifully, wonderfully produce apples. It's not intentional that a healthy apple tree produces apples. It's inevitable. It's inevitable. So let's explore some things that inevitably flow from the life of a Christian. When our lives are aligned with Christ, let's look at some things that inevitably flow out of us. This is how we can tell how we're doing. The more of this stuff you got flowing out of you, the better aligned with Christ you are. Number one, love. If you're taking notes, now's a great time to do it. The Greek word is agape. It's one of four distinct words that we translate into the single English word love. The Greeks differentiated between erotic love, familial love, and the love among friends. Agape is none of those things and more. It's a higher love. It's an altruistic love. Agape is a love that seeks the very best, even for those who would inflict upon us their very worst. It is to relentlessly seek God's best intentions for everyone and to make an investment in it. Agape is best represented by Jesus choosing to die on the cross for the very people who were screaming, crucify him, moments before. Agape is love with no strings attached. I once heard something that, that I've never forgotten. Becoming a Christian and walking in agape love means we can never tell even our worst enemy to go to hell. This is that. We want the best for everyone. Number two, joy. Joy means delight, rejoicing, gladness. It's deeply rooted in a relationship with God. And since the divine relationship is the wellspring, joy is undaunted by negative circumstances. So don't confuse joy and happiness. I, I define happiness as the predictable response to favorable stimuli. So you look down on your way out and you see a $100 bill. It's just blowing in the wind, clearly blew in from St. Louis. It's just tumbling by like a tumbleweed in Oklahoma. You pick it down, you pick it up, and you say, wow, this is great. And there's going to be a feeling of this is cool. This is fun. This is great. But let me tell you something. You're not going to find a $100 bill every day. You're not going to find one every day. They just don't blow by all that often. If our happiness is rooted in favorable circumstances, we're not always going to have that. But joy is rooted in our relationship with God through Christ. Joy is a perpetual delight of the soul. You might say joy doesn't depend on the weather. Number three, peace. I, I was blown away by my Greek study here. The New Testament was written in Greek in a particular dialect of Greek called koinia. So everything you read is translated, everything. And so I, I decided to dig in for these this week. The Greek literally means, you ready? Literal definition of the word translated peace. 
The feeling of well-being that a person experiences when they are well-governed. That is peace. A person who lives under a good government doesn't have to fear war, injustice, crime, starvation. Now Paul adapts this to refer to the feeling of well-being we have when our lives are placed under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Peace then is much more than the absence of conflict. Peace is having everything you need to have your best life. Think about it. Peace is having everything you need to have your best life. When we invite Jesus into our lives, he brings peace with him because he is everything we need. Number four, forbearance. I could have gone with a few translations here, but I went with forbearance because anything else I said you would think you know, and deep in your heart you're wanting to Google it. This word derives from a Roman notion that Romans would never make peace with any enemy, no matter how badly they were defeated. Romans would not sign a peace treaty. They refused to capitulate, give up, or give in. And no matter how soundly they were defeated, deep in their Roman hearts, they planned to regroup, come back, and defeat you on another day. This was called the Roman will. It built an empire. And the New Testament translates this word denoting a force of will as forbearance. It's a force of will. It's illustrated biblically by God's absolute refusal to give up on humanity. No matter how many times humanity has been unfaithful to God. So in this context, it means we are not to give up on each other. And we are not to give up on ourselves Because God hasn't given up on us. Forbearance. Number five, kindness. This is a fascinating word. It means sweetness of spirit. There's no harshness at all in kindness. Have you ever known anybody who was just completely sweet and kind in every conceivable way? They just didn't have any grit in in their nature. A lot of people think of a grandparent like that, like a grandmother like that. But I got to tell you, my grandmother was nothing like that. My grandmother was hard-nosed all day long kind of thing, right? But I've got to tell you, kindness is just utter sweetness. Winsome in nature, gracious in spirit. I think kindness is sort of like my interpretation of being a grandparent. How many grandparents do we have out here? Yeah, it's good work if you can find it. <laughs> when my grandkids were born, I sort of took on a whole new role in life. Grandparent. And as it turns out, it's one of the few things in life that doesn't turn out to be overrated. Grandparent is a compound word, combining the notions of grand and parent. So I think every grandparent has to decide which one of those two they're going to be. I chose grand. (laughs) Melissa chose parent. (laughs) First thing we did was choose our names. Melissa decided they would call her Nana, and I decided they would call me the great and mighty Papa. Both stuck. (laughs) I felt the great and mighty Papa properly focused on the grand part of that compound work. 
When my first grandson was born, Lydia casually asked one day, when she came to see us, he was about that big. She was walking out of the room and casually asked, Dad, would you change him? I'm sitting there thinking, that sounds like something we don't want to get started. (laughs) So I got up and I left the room and I simply said, Lyd, I am a grandparent. Does changing a baby sound grand or parent? (laughs) Melissa was not happy with me. And she took him and changed him herself. And for her good deed, she got to change hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of diapers. Now, as my grandkids grew up, I often took them to McDonald's for hotcakes and yucky meat. And we would always go to McDonald's and we would order hotcakes and yucky meat. That was grand. It was utterly grand. I loved it. It was all good. It was none bad. I was built for this. That's what kindness means, actually. You're thinking, gosh, pastor's weak sauce. Yeah, but that's what kindness means. And you say, don't we need more than that? Well, that's where the next word comes in, goodness. The concept's similar to kindness, but it includes discipline. That sounds parent to me, doesn't it to you? That sounds parent. The Greek word literally means to be good in every conceivable way, but it is given an added responsibility of eradicating impurities to maintain goodness. So something doesn't just stay good. You ever notice you don't have to teach kids to be bad? They seem to nail that all by themselves, right? Uh, Goodness allows good, but it also gives you permission to address the bad. If something becomes contaminated, it's no longer good. Kindness says, I love you, and if you are bad, I will take you home to your parents and take a nap. Not that that's ever happened in my case. Goodness adds, I not only love you, but I'm totally invested in you, and I love you way too much to put up with your bad behavior. Kindness is grand. Goodness is parent. The church needs both. The church needs both. Faithfulness. This is such a straightforward word that I didn't elaborate on it a lot because it's so awesome. Whether it's translated trustworthy or fidelity, it just means somebody who's completely reliable. Do you have anybody in your life who's just a rock? They're just completely reliable. That's what faithfulness means. These people, their their word is their bond. Handshakes, an unbreakable covenant. If they say they're going to do something, they do it. Every time. That's faithfulness. People aligned with Christ are like that. Next is gentleness. To be gentle, something must be capable of doing harm, but choose not to. So a mouse can't be gentle. A mouse can be meek or timid, but it can't be gentle. A bear can be gentle. Gentleness is always a choice. A gentle person knows when to show strength and the proper way to use strength. It's where we get the old English idea of a gentleman. You know when and where to use strength. You use strength properly. We live in a day and age when people can just tear stuff up. 
Any idiot today can grab a hold of a computer and just make a mess of things. There is a wisdom hardwired into gentleness that's very much needed today. We need more gentle people. And just because you can make a mess doesn't mean you should. I have two, I always call them my two churches. You guys are the first and foremost. And the other is kind of this online uh, church. Not, not the people who join us for services because they're a part of Christ church. I've just got a lot of people that I've kind of accumulated through my life. And through social media, I kind of do a little life coaching. I, I sort of try to keep people in a good frame of mind when stuff happens, kind of offer some interpretation and just sort of do this through social media. But one of the things I have with my social media is, is I've got a mission statement. My mission is to display an authentic and joyful Christian life. That's, that's my mission. So anytime I post something, it has to pass through that mission. And if it doesn't get through that filter, I just don't post it. I can't tell you how many things I choose not to post. Some stuff just riles me up. Do you guys just get fired up about some stuff? I mean, I just get fired up. And I could go out there and get on my computer and let everybody in my world know that I'm fired up. And what good would that do? None. Or I could actually pray about what I'm going to say. I could actually ask God if that's pleasing to him. And then I pass it through my filter of my mission. And then and only then do I post something. A lot of times what I post is not what I originally wanted to say. (laughs) Gentleness. Gentleness. And the last one is self-control. I would define this as holy discipline. Divine impulse control. The the Stoics would have loved this one in, in Paul's day. It's bringing your mind, emotions, body, and spirit under the reign and rule of God. It's living in submission to God through the mastery of emotions. This does not mean that you don't take stands. If you want to offer a prophetic word to our nation, if you want to write your congressman to express your feelings, if you want to boycott a company that runs against your values, knock yourself out. Just do it under the influence of the Holy Spirit and not out of your own anger and frustration. And then he gets down to the end of it and he goes, and against such there is no law. Christians are getting persecuted intensely by the Roman Empire. We're doing the 500 campaign where we're inviting people to church. You're going to suffer some pretty serious persecution in Paul's day in the Roman Empire if you're out passing out cards. And Paul's saying, here are some Fruit that naturally flow from the life of the Christian that will show that you're a Christian and not a single one of these things is against Roman law. You're not going to get arrested for any of these things. So what is the biblical key to holiness? Let me close with this. We're to crucify our flesh and the works of the flesh so that the fruit of God's spirit might resurrect in us. We pour out the bad by repenting of our sin and we allow God to fill those empty spaces with the Holy Spirit I think Paul said it so very well a little earlier in this book in Galatians 2 20 
I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If we are going to resurrect to a spirit-filled life that naturally produces the fruit of the Spirit, we are going to have to crucify our flesh. We're going to have to crucify those things in us that result in the choices we make that have us in sin. It is through crucifixion of the works of the flesh that we experience resurrection through the fruit of the Spirit. I want to close this series by having a prayer with you. Let's open up our hearts as we conclude this In Search of the Holy series. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, I offer myself fully to you. I submit to your rule and reign in my life. Crucify all in me that does not bear the image of Christ. Empty me of my sin and fill me with your spirit. Set me apart for your glory and your purposes. May the fruit of the spirit fill my soul and flow from my very being to everyone I meet. I will live by faith. I will live in holiness. In the strong name of Jesus, amen. I invite our communion stewards, would you please come forward and would you pray with me? Great and mighty God, thank you for the price that was paid for our sin when Jesus willingly gave his life on Calvary. Thank you, dear God, that the works of the flesh that afflict each of us can be brought under the reign and rule of Jesus. We repent of our sin. We pray that you would free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ our Lord. We pray that you would bless these gifts of bread and wine and make them for us the body and the blood of Christ that we might be Christ's body in this world redeemed by his blood. Do your work in us that we may do your work in this world. And thank you, dear God, that the message of Christianity is not try harder. The message of Christianity is be born again. We thank you for the fruit of the Spirit. May we naturally, beautifully, and inevitably make manifest of these things in our lives. In Jesus' strong name, amen. At Christ Church, you do not have to be a member to take communion. There are places up at the top and in the bottom area. If you would like prepackaged elements or gluten-free elements, those are available as well. We're going to stand and worship. Please come as the ushers bring you forward.